Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. You're fired. Welcome, and we are back. Uh, first time in a while. Let's see if I still remember how to do this. Uh, this is R.I. Free Radio Wrestling Talk here on RIFreeRadio.org. And that was the theme of the Repo Man, a uh, classic uh, bad guy from the early 90s WWF. And we're going to be talking all kinds of comedy stuff, comedy wrestling gimmicks. I'll probably bring up some of the worst um, gimmick matches of all time, stuff like that. Um, We'll just have fun. I know it's been a crappy time to be alive recently, but I'm trying to keep things lighthearted with um, all that stuff. But first, I am Mike Dickerson, and join with me, as always, the number one... Let's see if I remember how to do this, because it's been a while. Number one world champion of all time of USWF. He was the... He is A, or N, AWL, Ringside Powerbomb Hall of Famer. And I gave him some kind of title belt from here, but I don't remember what it was. He's like the R-Truth uh, 24-7 hardcore European intercontinental tag team champion of the world or something like that. Hold on a second. Don't c- c- compare me to R-Truth. That's my brother. That's like R-Truth. That's Y2 Ray. I'm more of the straight and narrow one. I don't do recreational drugs like R-Truth and my brother does. Uh, that is a good point. Um Anyways, this is Blackjack Charlie, and I've got a special guest this time, uh, Mr. Lenny the Loon. Hello. 
All right, I think uh, I think the camera heard that, or the microphone, I should say. So you should be the good. The camera heard that, really? Wow. I don't know if uh, I don't know if anyone heard that. Grimlock Stonehammer's here too. I don't think I think he's a little further away, but he was being a little sarcastic. So uh, he's gaming right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was being a little uh, sarcastic, dick. But that's okay. <laughs> All right. Before we get to uh, the main topic, as we usually do, we'll talk about a little bit of uh, more recent stuff. Um, I want to start off by saying, you know, uh, rest in peace to a few people that have passed since uh, our last show. First of all, um, a classic legend, the Fink, Howard Finkel. Uh, very sad. I grew up with him. Um, you know, the following contest is scheduled for one fall. And, you know, and new World Wrestling Federation champion. And all that stuff. So that was a really sad one. He was um, pretty old, though, so he got to live a nice long life. Um, unfortunately, a couple of people in the wrestling business we lost that did not get to live quite as long of lives. Um... Shad Gaspard, who was a former member of Crime Time in the WWF or WWE, uh, he actually drowned. He was swimming with his son, and they got uh, taken out by basically a really a riptide, a giant wave. And actually, he his last act in life was informing the lifeguards to save his son instead of him. At which time he was sucked under, and uh, unfortunately, the body washed up a few days later. Uh, so very, very terrible situation. Um, at least you can say, like, someone going in their last act is directing um, directing the lifeguard to save their son instead of them. It's a very heroic thing. And he actually stopped a robbery a few years back as well, too. So definitely um, a sad situation. Um, definitely rest in peace. Another one uh, from stardom uh, in Japan, uh, Hana Kimura, who was one of the biggest rising stars in the Japanese women's wrestling game uh, these days, or, you know. Uh, unfortunately, she had been on a reality TV show called Terrace House, kind of like a real-world type of thing, a Big Brother type of thing, a lot of people living in a, ta- in a house together. Uh, there had been an incident where one of the other house guests had washed, accidentally washed and dried her uh, costume that she had worn at the Tokyo Dome with his laundry, and it ended up shrinking and getting ruined, which led to her slapping him. Uh, and unfortunately, it led to a lot of backlash online after that aired a lot of um, cyberbullying. She was actually getting something like 100 messages a day with people telling her to kill herself, which is really terrible. And unfortunately, it got to her to the point where she actually did end up killing herself. She had posted on um, Instagram, I believe it was, earlier in the day, like pictures of herself uh, self-harming, you know, cutting, and a kind of cryptic message about being, you know, upset and wanting to die, basically. Uh, and I guess it was actually Kyrie Sane uh, from WWE, who had been in stardom before, who saw the posts because it was early in the morning Japan time, but it was like noon time, early noon time, uh, U.S. time, and she called one of the wrestlers over there to go check on her, but unfortunately it was already too late. So another one, very sad. Um, I really hate bullying, and cyberbullying and all that stuff is really terrible. I hope someday as a society as a world global society we can move past that crap but again rest in peace um some sad stuff but i feel like it's important to bring it up hopefully from here on out we'll keep things a little bit more lighthearted on this um on the show uh i know uh something that just happened last night actually and i have lenny here and i want him to yeah i i see you lenny you said you were gonna do it 
See, I'm not the biggest NXT fan, but I've got Lenny here, and I know he is a very big fan. And I'd like him to kind of go over last night's NXT show because we they we don't really cover them that much. And I know he watched it. Yeah, I watched it. It was a pretty good show. Um, kicking off the show, we they had Tegan Knox, Blackheart, and Mia Yim defeating Dakota Kai, Gonzalez, and Candice LeRae. Match two had was well, a pretty good match, but Sally got it was had a really bad review. Finn Balor defeating Damian Priest. Match three was North American Championship match between Keith Lee defeating Johnny Gargano. But part of that match during the match actually had Keith Lee pouncing Gargano to the plexiglass. And it looked it was a pretty good match. Uh, match four was a really good match because they, they brought back a backlot brawl for the NXT title with, featuring Adam Cole defeating Velveteen Dream, which was really good. They had, Match 5 was Karen Cross defeating Tommaso Ciampa. And the main event was really good. It was for the NXT Women's title. It was Io Shirai defeating... And becoming the new champion, Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. Very good. Thank you. And I actually have heard very good things about the main event. I definitely want to check that one out. As well as the NXT title match with Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream. Uh, sounds like a really cool setup. Basically, um, similar to the Hollywood Backlot Brawl from WrestleMania 12. Um, and from I haven't seen uh, pictures or video of it yet, but it definitely reminds me, hearing about it, of... Uh, the old uh, match, I think it was Eddie Guerrero and JBL, where they wrestled in a parking lot surrounded by cars. But uh, this time there was actually a ring out there as well. Uh, which reminds me of another match I wanted to bring up uh, that I got to see from recently. The Stadium Stampede match from uh, AEW, which had the ring in the middle of the giant uh, football stadium. Which was um, pretty awesome. It was uh, the entire uh, inner circle taking on... The Elite and Matt Hardy. Um, Cody was not a part of the match. He was facing Lance Archer on that show. Which, by the way, boo. Yeah. Boo. I, I was hoping Archer would have won, too. Yeah. Uh, but I loved... Uh, the only match I've seen from that show so far was the Stadium Stampede match, but it was pretty awesome. I love um, Adam Page looking uh, for Sammy Guevara in the back with his horse and then finding the bar and then the bar fight later on. Um by the way, spoilers if you haven't seen it, but it's a few weeks old. So, anyways, uh, fighting in the bar with Jake Hager and then uh, Kenny Omega joining in too. And I loved the little toast they had with um, Adam or Adam Page, I should say, with the whiskey and Kenny Omega with the milk. That was pretty awesome. And uh, not to spoil the finish, but the, uh, like I said, it's a few weeks old by now. The one-winged angel that Kenny does to. Um, Sammy Guevara was actually absolutely amazing. It was, um, obviously it was padded. It was like a professional stunt padding thing that they landed on with like wooded covering to make it look like an actual stage. But they fell probably 18 or 20 feet, which was very impressive. For Kenny, it must not have been that bad because he can see where he's going. But imagine like Sammy, he's got his back turned to the ground and he's just falling. That must have kind of sucked. Let me tell you from a wrestler's standpoint, when you're falling from something that high, all you do is close your eyes and go into break fall. And you pray for the best. Yeah. 
Uh, one more thing about that match I want to mention. Um, Matt Hardy switching gimmicks during the match as he's um, being held under in the pool by LAX, or Santana Ortiz, I should say. Um, switching gimmicks, uh, basically, it's one of those things you can only do uh, in a taped match because he's switching gimmicks, like, right there immediately. But that was pretty awesome. And actually, um, he brought out the pre Hardy Boys, or the pre-Team Extreme Hardy Boys, um, original Matt Hardy with regular tights on, uh, on an episode of Dynamite, teaming with the Young Bucks, which was kind of cool, because if you go back and look at the original Hardy Boys, when they were jobbers on WWF TV, and look at the way they looked, their gear and everything, before they were Team Extreme, and then look at the Young Bucks, especially when they were first getting started out on the indies, you can see a lot of parallels, definitely. Uh, and you can see definitely where the Young Bucks were very much expired, inspired by the Hardy Boys. So that was a pretty cool little Yeah, except thing. for the Hardy Boys started in backyard wrestling. Just like the Young Bucks did. No. Really? Yeah. yeah. I did not know the Young they, Bucks um, started in backyard. Mm-hmm. They actually have a book coming out. I believe it's called um, Killing the Business from the Backyard, maybe to uh, Budokan or something. I don't know what the second word was. I forgot. I think... Um, I got hit in the head with the chair. I don't remember the full name. But, yeah, it's all about how they got started so small and how they rose up to being on TV and everything, being big stars in Japan and now big stars in America as well. And I know um, while we're on the subject, before we go to some music, while we're on the subject of AEW, uh, I know you're a huge fan of Lance Archer, uh, as am I. And uh, would you like to say anything about his manager being uh, awesome? Yeah, first of all, if you don't know who Lance Archer's manager is by now, you've been sleeping under a rock. It is Jake the Snake Roberts, and uh, he still has the mic skills that he had when he started off in WWF. And I could say WWF because it was WWF then. What a missed opportunity WWE had as far as using Jake the Snake as a manager for one of the other wrestlers. They definitely missed that opportunity big time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and they missed an opportunity with Archer as well because they had him under contract a few years back and basically did nothing with him. And um, thank you to Lenny for uh, showing me uh, on his phone. It's Killing the Business from the Backyard to the Big Leagues, the name of the Young Bucks book. So I was pretty close. But, yeah, they actually still do. Um, if you watch the Being, Elite, Being the Elite stuff, they wrestle uh, in their – actual backyard these days of the mansion uh including a match they had uh not too long ago against each other uh going all over the place all right so um with that let us go down to a little music and when we come back we'll talk a little bit about uh some of the comedy gimmicks uh, i think i'll start around the early 90s era uh and this is weird al yankovic dare to be stupid on rifreeradio.org <laughs> You better- 
soup. You can eat a bunch of sushi, then forget to leave a tip. Dare to be stupid on rifreeradio.org, right here on RIFE Radio Wrestling Talk, and uh, and we're going to talk about some of the people who uh, who did dare to be stupid th- from throughout the years. Um, some of them raced their gimmicks and did really good. Uh, some of them, well, some of these gimmicks were probably pretty bad. But um, basically, if uh, Vince or whoever you're working for tells you, "Hey, you're going to be the Repo Man now," you're pretty much going to be the Repo Man now. Which I'll start with him, since we played his music at the beginning. Um, I personally really like that gimmick. I'd say he did uh, Barry Darso. He did a great job with that. It's definitely a huge uh, turn from his previous gimmick, being Smash and Demolition. Uh, but I personally really enjoyed it. I loved um, when he repossessed uh, Macho Man Randy Savage's hat on an early episode of Monday Night Raw. That was pretty funny, and I do remember his old catchphrase. Uh, if it belongs to, if it's mine, it's mine. If it's yours, it's mine too. Of course, it wouldn't be me if I didn't um, garble a, a little bit at the beginning because that's just how I do things. Um, another one who was from around that time who actually could have made a lot bigger of an impact, um, which is kind of thankfully they didn't go in this route. Um, someone who almost main evented WrestleMania, and this is really going to be hard to believe for people who don't know the story. Uh, Fred Ottman, who was, of course, Tugboat. Uh, he was one of Hogan's buddies. He came in uh, to help face off against guys like Earthquake, who he would eventually team up with. But the original plan for WrestleMania 7, before they got Sergeant Slaughter in on the mix, was to exploit the original Gulf War with him as Sheik Tugboat, actually. So, I mean, he was a good wrestler, a good big man, but 
I do not think that would have did good money. And actually, um, the match with Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter did not do good business either. But they actually had to move it to a much smaller arena. And no, it was not because they were getting death threats. It's because there's no way they were going to sell out the L.A. Coliseum and get over 100,000 fans in there. But I actually... um, I have somewhat fond memories, though, of the Sergeant Slaughter heel character. I know a lot of people will call it, you know, wrestle crap or whatever, but I liked him teaming with General Adnan, and eventually they would bring in the Iron Sheik uh, as Colonel Mustafa, which an Irani guy um, in an Iraqi sympathizing stable, uh, not really a very accurate, I should say, thing to do, but uh, hey, it's wrestling, who cares? And the the fireball, when they threw the fireball in Hogan's face, was really, that's something that scared me when I was a kid. And another thing that scared me is something that the next guy I'm going to talk about did, um, the Berserker, which was another one of those really wacky uh, early 90s gimmicks. Um, it was John Nord. He was basically a bar, or not a barbarian, um, although he did f- have fuzzy boots like the barbarian. He's basically a Viking who um, they kidnapped, I guess, to wrestle, I don't know, but he would win via countout, which was, like, uh, pretty cool, it was something different that most people um, don't do, most wrestlers wouldn't do, Uh, he also uh, uh, won a battle royal, I remember, by staying outside of the ring until the very end, it was actually a 40-man battle royal, so it was, like, double size uh, of a regular battle royal. And uh, came in at the very end and clotheslined the last guy out. And I actually do have, since I mentioned the Barbarian, I do have somewhere at home a VHS tape because um, I was just a little guy back then, and my dad would actually record primetime wrestling, and I would watch it later. And I actually have an old VHS tape of primetime wrestling that has a Berserker versus Barbarian match. So it's like the dream match of the Fuzzy Boots. But that's all not very scary. What I was going to say about... Uh, the scary part is, and this did freak me out, and they did it very safe, but it did freak me out as a kid, was him trying to impale The Undertaker with his sword in the middle of the ring. If you watch it back now, like you, you can tell they did it um, in a really safe way, but as an eight-year-old kid, that uh, kind of freaked me out. And I was like, um, I remember talking to my dad, my dad, and I'm like, oh my God, what if, like, what if The Undertaker had had a heart attack and he couldn't move or something? And my dad was like, oh, well, I guess there'd just be one less bad guy. And I was like, but Undertaker's a good guy now! Uh, anyway, sorry to um, evoke a little bit of the uh, cyborg voice there. Um, but anyways, um, another one uh, back in the day that I remember uh, finally, although I wasn't as big of a fan of his, he did okay with it, Steve Cairn uh, as Skinner, the alligator man, the uh, alligator hunter from uh, the Everglades. Which, um, it was an okay gimmick. It wasn't as good as some of the other ones, but I always, I always remember being, like, grossed out by the chewing tobacco just, like, spewing down his face during that. That was definitely pretty gross. Um, another one that I want to mention, another uh, one that I actually really liked, um, the Mountie. Uh, he had come in, he had come into a um, feud with the big boss man, the American police officer, uh, against the Canadian Mounted uh, Royal Mountie. Oh, oh yeah, I'm going to mention him too later. Lenny just uh, gave me an idea, and I'm definitely going to mention him a little bit later on. Um, 
But anyways, the Mountie, uh, who had one of the best uh, theme songs from the early 90s, too. Uh, I'm the Mountie, and I am brave and strong. And I'm a terrible singer, so I apologize about that. But he did pretty good. Another one of the, another one of the occupational gimmicks that I really liked, and I think this guy did probably one of the best uh, jobs of playing uh, a, uh, a character based on an actual um, occupation, IRS, Erwin R. Scheister. Of course, he had been um, Mike Rotundo, uh, teaming with Barry Windham in the WWF, uh, including at WrestleMania 1 against the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov as the U.S. Express, which actually way back then, they were the original team that had Hulk Hogan's Real American theme music before Hogan even had it. Uh, if you remember way, way back then, which I don't because I was too young, but I know a lot about it now. Um, Hogan actually used Bonnie Tyler's Ravishing, uh, which uh, if you look it up, uh, it doesn't really fit with the lyrics for him, but if you look up the instrumental version, which they actually used for Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling for the theme song of the cartoon, uh, it fits much better without that, uh, the lyrics. He also had used Eye of the Tiger, of course, but he's most well-known for having Real American, although he was not the first to have it. But flash forward to the early 90s, and you've got the evil tax collector, which I thought he did a really great job. And actually, his team with Ted DiBiase as Money, Inc. is one of my favorite early 90s teams as well. I thought those two gimmicks meshed really well. Uh, and later on, he would also go on to be a part of Ted DiBiase's Million Dollar Corporation as well uh, and challenge for the Intercontinental title and lots of good stuff. Um, so we will head down to some music, and then when we come back, I'll talk, um, think about some old-school indie stuff, from some gimmicks from maybe about a decade and a half ago. Uh, so let us head down to... Hold on a second. This is, oh, I know uh, Black Tick liked this one. Sorry, I wasn't sure about my song order for a second, so I brain farted. It's what I usually do. I know Charlie, or, yeah, Black Tech Charlie will appreciate this one. This is Bogus Trizzy with Circle of Poop on RFERadio.org. Up the toilet tunnel, down the toilet tunnel, pipe. It's a piece of poop, a piece of poop.
spread out like plumbing too. Plumbing too. All through the city, it's under you. It's under you. Hot food gathers at plumbing keys too, and then you see it goes out to sea where we ski do. Where we ski do. Throughout the ocean, there's lots of poo. Lots of poo. into um, comedy stuff, um, I will tell a couple stories. Uh, that one of them, the first one, involves poop. Um, uh, the story uh, that I haven't gotten to tell on here yet of Andre the Giant uh, pooping uh, accidentally on Bad News Brown, uh, which is a kind of funny story. They were actually um, on opposite sides of a six-man tag in Mexico, and unfortunately this was more closer to the end of Andre's life, so... He was not in too great of shape, and he had been drinking tequila all day, so his tummy was kind of not too good. And he had bad news backed up in the corner, and he did the little uh, butt bump thing where you shove it, shove your butt into the guy's uh, uh, stomach area, chest area. And right as his ass hit, his ass exploded all over the place. And bad news was so grossed out, he ran to the back. Yeah. But they actually, they actually finished the match. Um, and Andre, when he got to the back, he was laughing his ass off. Oh, I pooped on you. Uh, I want to uh, segue into another Andre story from so from several years before that when he wasn't quite in as rough of shape. Uh, I guess back in the day, he would uh, play cards a lot before the matches, you know, in the backstage. And I guess he had this thing where he would wear his boots. He'd put his boots on, but he wouldn't put his tights on yet. So he's basically sitting there naked playing cards. And uh, if you know Andre, you know he's a legendary wrestler. 
Uh, he's been known as a legendary drinker. He's also been known as a legendary farter as well. And he would be sitting there all day letting them rip. And uh, Tony Atlas actually had a gun on him, uh, which he would carry around to make sure he got the correct paydays, um, basically back in the day. And he had enough of Andre uh, stinking up the joint. And actually pulled it out and fired it. Not at Andre, not at anyone, but he fired it in the backstage area, which uh, led to Andre getting up and running out, buck naked, into the hall. And this was the time period of the rock and wrestling connection. So this was one of the shows where Cindy Lauper was at. So I guess Andre runs out of the room, buck naked, and then Vince McMahon and Cindy Lauper come running up. So uh, she would be she would be one person that would be able to tell if he was a true giant or not in every sense of the word. But um, anyways, just a little story I wanted to uh, share. I actually was going to uh, tell that on a previous episode, but uh, we ran out of time, so it didn't end up happening. So just uh, something to ki- to hopefully make people smile, you know, a little lighthearted stuff. So uh, let's talk about um, some, of, uh, some of the guys in AEW and so... I'll use that as a segue to talk about some of their past gimmicks uh, on the indies as well, because they definitely fit in with the uh, comedy stuff a little bit, or a lot in some cases. Uh, Of course, there's probably my favorite guy uh, from uh, AEW right now, Orange Cassidy, who, of course, that gimmick comes from the indies as well. But uh, he uh, used to be actually um, Fire Ant, in Chikara back in the day, which they had a lot of great gimmicks. I'm going to talk about a few of them, but he was basically a giant-sized, or human-sized ant, not to be confused with Giant Man, who's a giant ant man. But uh, he was Fire Ant with the red costume, and of course they had Soldier Ant in the the camouflage, and Worker Ant, who was the one that would sell the gimmicks and stuff at the table, and you have the fanny pack, because he was a wrestler who was a worker. And uh, they've had a bunch of other ones since, and I think the gimmick actually is still going on with other members. But the first, I remember they introduced their first new member uh, was Green Ant, because, of course, if you know, uh, if you're a wrestler and you're just starting out, you're pretty green. Uh, Of course, um, another guy who I really hope to see one-on-one with with Orange Cassidy in AEW is Colt Cabana. And uh, going back to that company, Chikara, which had, like I said, had a lot of fun gimmicks. And I think um, I think uh, a lot of people enjoy hearing about some of the stuff. I remember he way back when they first started, which would have been like 2002, he was actually in the main event of their first show, uh, along with CM Punk as well, was one of their team members. Uh, and years later, they brought out the mascot costumes. They actually had um, CP Monk. In a giant chipmunk, the straight-edge chipmunk in a giant, you know, basically high school uh, uniform suit or whatever, mascot suit, as well as Colt Cabunny, which uh, eventually they bought that back when uh, Cabana was on the Indies and had it unmasked as Cabana himself, which is pretty cool. It's pretty cool that he was cool with them um, joking around and stuff. Uh, he seems like a pretty lighthearted guy. I know CM Punk did not take too kindly to uh, to the CP Monk thing at first, but he, eh, he's probably gotten over it by now. I would think he's definitely one that sometimes has uh, the stick up his butt sometimes. Uh, CM Punk, that is. Um, another one that people will probably be surprised if you don't know the backstory of um, the Dark Order, uh, specifically Evil Uno, 
He actually started out uh, about a decade and a half, I should go, something like that, on the Indies. He started in the Canadian Indies, then eventually started uh, coming over to America more. But he was Player Uno originally, and he actually had the Nintendo pad on the side of his gear, and people would actually pause him during the matches, which um, which led to a few losses for him, although not everyone was as rude. Um, although, if I was a wrestler, I think, yeah, you just pause the guy and then you can pin him. But uh, eventually, uh, his partner, Stu Grayson, he was originally stupefied. Yes, named after the Disturbed song on the Canadian Indies. They were originally a team. They were already calling themselves Super Smash Brothers, but eventually... He would adopt the player dose gimmick, so you had player uno and player dose, player one, player two, and they would basically have like um, Mario themed gear and stuff like that for a while. But going back um, to there, like um, I want to mention a few of the other crazy gimmicks. Um, I remember there was uh, retail dragon was like the because um, everyone had dragon in their name in the indies back then. Not everyone, but it was a very overused thing. So he would come out with the mask, kind of like, um, almost like a Jushin Liger-esque type costume with the Walmart jacket over it. And I remember he eventually brought in his tag partner, Dragon Dragon, which was a, another high school mascot outfit, like the dragon. Uh, I remember they had um, Lance Steele, who was the time-traveling knight from the medieval times. And eventually he brought in his tag partner. He went back in time and got another version of himself from another point in time. And you had the two of them feuding, or teaming at first, Lance Steele and Lance Steele. And eventually one of them turned on the other one. And you actually had the two guys feuding in the exact same gear with a mask on and everything. But one was the evil Lance Steele and one was the good one. Which I really, I thought, was pretty funny. That was pretty cool. Um, it also reminds me of um, another thing that was going on back around then, I'll bring up. Which um, I know they're still going on now. Which uh, we've, uh, I know, on the Chuckles and Laughs show, they've somewhat created it almost. Although we don't, we didn't uh, build the uh, buildings or anything. But uh, Kaiju Big Battles, another thing, which is um, if you get a chance to look it up, it's not the best wrestling in the world, but there's some pretty funny stuff. They have guys like um, Doctor Cube, who was the evil scientist with a giant cube head. I remember Kaiju. That was fun stuff. Yeah. Guys like uh, Dusto Bunny, the giant dust bunny. Um, yeah. A Kung Fu can of chicken noodle soup. I remember that one really well. The giant can of chicken noodle soup, which was pretty awesome. Uh, and of course, uh, that's it's stuff that's inspired you know, by Japanese culture, the kaiju movies, the Godzilla movies. And uh, there was definitely, that was, uh, that was that time, maybe around 2006-ish, that area was when I was really following a lot of wrestling um, from wherever I could find it. Now, unfortunately, I have a job and I don't have as much time to pay attention to the Japanese scene or the indie scene as much. But they definitely, uh, in Japan, that was around the time when uh, they had the blow-up doll wrestler as well, who was one of my favorites, um, Yoshihiko, who uh, actually had some really competitive matches against... uh, People like Kota Ibushi, people like Kenny Omega even, which that was a source of Jim Cornette's hatred towards Kenny Omega, was that he had wrestled a blow-up doll, um, as well as um, he wrestled one of the uh, little kid wrestlers over there at one point, and done a bunch of comedy stuff. He was um, originally actually a big star, or when he started out in Japan, he was a big star in DDT before moving to New Japan, 
And they, if you know about that, they do a lot of comedy stuff. That's actually where the blow-up doll gimmick is based out of. And uh, seeing him doing all those comedy stuff was actually something that Jim Cornette took um, pretty big offense to and did not uh, like that. And it was a source, it's still a source of his hatreds uh, for Kenny Omega, but I think Omega's proven that he's far, far more than just a comedy wrestler at this point. So I think um, maybe, uh, in no disrespect to Jim Cornette, but maybe he should take the stick out of his ass on that one and acknowledge that Kenny's a great wrestler. So anyways, we'll go down to a little music, and uh, we'll have a little bit of time uh, afterwards, a few minutes. But uh, let's go down to this song. This is by a wrestler, and uh, this is actually pretty funny. This is Terry Funk with Barbara Streisand's Nose on RIFreeRadio.org.
All right, we are back, and that was Terry Funk with Barbara Streisand's nose. Right here on R.I.F. Radio. There. Once again, botching my words like usual. <laughs> on RIFreeRadio.org. To be fair, it's been a while since I've done one of these, so I'm relearning. But I think I'm doing a pretty good job, I hope. Uh, we got a few more minutes, uh, probably about five-ish more minutes. Uh, let's talk uh, actually about that man himself. We'll talk about some of the gimmicks uh, of later years. Um, maybe some Attitude Era stuff. Um, the, of, uh, you know, kind of of the comedy kind of persuasion. And, of course, Terry Funk coming out with pantyhose on his head as Chainsaw Charlie, I would say, would definitely fit into that as well. Um, he has said that that is one of the things he regrets most uh, in his wrestling career was doing that gimmick. Um who's a teammate of Mick Foley, and originally he came out, they had a giant uh, wooden box on the stage, and everyone's like, oh, what's in the box? What's in the box? They're wondering all night. And uh, towards the end of the show, a chainsaw pops out, and he cuts the hole in the box and comes out with um, the, I believe he had like a red shirt, not flannel, but like a kind of undershirt, uh, underwear type shirt, or whatever. Um and suspenders and jeans and everything, um, looking kind of like a woodsman, like someone who was uh, maybe going to be camping or something, and the pantyhose on the top of his head, running around with the chainsaw. Uh, with Terry Funk, I wanted to bring up something, too. Um, I guess, you know, over the years, he's quit the WWF a number of times. Uh, one of them was actually well, a few years prior to the Chainsaw Charlie gimmick when he was going to be one of... Um, Shawn Michaels' nights at Survivor Series against the Hart family. And there was uh, just this idea that they were floating around that they didn't confirm because originally they were going to have um, known wrestlers under the hood, including Terry Funk. And they were like, oh, Brett was saying, well, maybe like after they lose, we should unmask them. And it's like, hey, it's Terry Funk. And uh, Funk didn't really like that idea. Uh, so he quit. And one of the, the way that he would quit back in the day is he'd uh, call up Vince like, Vince, I gotta go home. My horse is sick. I think he's gonna die. And he did that so much to the point where when Vince sees him now, the first thing he says is, Hey, Terry, how's your horse doing? So uh, that's pretty uh, pretty neat little story. And no, I don't think any of his horses were actually sick at those times. Although um, when he quit the first time in the 80s, he was also like, um, basically the reason he left was because he couldn't, he had had enough of working with the junkyard dog who, was a great character, but not necessarily the best entering guy. So he would be going around, like, he'd be telling people, I gotta go home. I just can't work with the junkyard dog anymore. And eventually he did go home. Um, so jumping back to uh, the attitude stuff, and someone that uh, Mr. Lenny showed me, um, uh, he basically had searched for him on his phone. But one of my favorite gimmicks, uh, Gilberg, uh, with the Job Squad, and by the way, um, if you're not checking out Figure Federation, go to YouTube, um, Chuckles Figure Federation. We actually have a new Job Squad, and uh, Grimlock's over there holding the My Little Pony as well, who got in on the action last time. So if you enjoy seeing toys, action figures, and um, just toys in general, fighting in a wrestling ring, uh, that's definitely something that should be right up your alley. Mike, I would consider it more yeah. of a uh, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if, uh, I think he's a little bit far away from the microphone to hear it, but Grimlock did, did just uh, say, 
it is kind of more of a geek type wrestling, which it kind of is. But we do have our own job squad now, Job Squad 2020. But the original job squad, they brought in Gilbert, who had been a jobber for many years on WWF TV as Dwayne Gill. Uh, they brought him in to parody Goldberg, which for me, this was um, one of the best jobber gimmicks ever. Um, and he defeated Christian to win the light heavyweight title, which I had known, but Lenny just um, reminded me, which is actually very good of him. So good job. I'll give him a little pat on the back after. But, yeah, that was really cool. And he was actually the longest reigning light heavyweight champion of that time, not that they ever cared about that belt. but um, And he went over a year with basically not defending it pretty much ever. But, yeah. They still don't care about that belt. No, now it's the cruiserweight belt. <laughs> All right, well, we are, are yeah, yeah, I know. He wrote um, poop on the yeah, the uh, paper, Lenny did. He's, uh, he's... He pooped on the paper? No. Oh, that's nasty. <laughs> well, yeah. No. All that Taco Bell. Uh, I don't know. We got, uh, we got uh, some inmates here. We're actually on location at the uh, Gardner Hill Insane Asylum, so if you hear a few extra voices, if you're a little bit of downtime... And the audio, pay close attention. There's probably some lunatics in the background talking. <laughs> yeah, that probably got picked up. Um, but uh, I do want to wish Tony Jones uh, speedy recovery. Uh, he does have a foot infection, but uh, hopefully he will recover soon. Um, until then, we will be doing some on-location stuff here uh, in the Insane Asylum. I know Chuckles Crypt was on right before this, so... Um, Chuckles the Clown was so gracious enough as to let me record, too, since he was already recording anyway. So uh, I am here in the Insane Asylum, but um, we're running pretty low on time, So um, and we got to mention Gilbert, so yay. So good job, Lenny. You helped out a lot. And we'll close it uh, with uh, our Gilbert talk, and we'll head down to our last song. Uh, and this is one of those bands. Uh, they got some comedy stuff. Um, this one's not quite as comedy as a lot of stuff. This is more serious. It's um, actually a cover of an old song by The Associations, or The Association. I think it's Associations, uh, if it's the wrong. If it's The Association without the S, I'm sorry. Uh, any new music nerd can hit me over the head with a chair, if they would like, if I got the name wrong. But uh, this, this is one of those bands where you've got to be careful with uh, what you play, because some of their songs, not so radio-friendly. Although this one is uh, probably because it's a cover of an old song from way back. Uh, so we will sign off here tonight with the Bloodhound Gang, Along Comes Mary, on rifreeradio.org, and we'll catch you all next time. Every time I think that I'm the only one who's lonely, someone calls... Me. And every now and then I spend my time at rhyme and verse and curse those faults in me. And then along comes Mary. Then along comes Mary. Does she want to give me kicks and be my study? She can give me quick memories. Or maybe rather gather tests from all the fails and tribulations no one ever sees. I was sure I'd say lunch. Now I am the cup, taste as sweet as the punch, sweet as the punch. When big desire is the fire in the eyes of
are chicks whose sickness is the games they play. And when the masquerade is played, and neighbor folks make jokes as who is most to blame today. And then along comes Mary. Is the punch? And when the morning of the warnings pass, the gas and plastic kids are flung across the stars. The psychodramas and the traumas gone. The songs are left and sung and hung upon the scars. And then along comes Mary. Hey Joe. Not right now, man. Can't you see I'm working? I'll talk to you later. <sighs> I have no one to turn to. Mom's sick. Dad left. Tom doesn't have any time anymore. It'll all be better off without me. This is the first lie you tell to yourself, along with, I'm such a burden, or I don't have a purpose in life. The truth is, is that every person you make contact with has an impact, like saying, Hi, how's your day, or what's wrong? Your impact can leave a positive or negative effect. A negative impact can be, Why are you sitting with us? Or, Get away from me. I don't want to talk to you. If you are contemplating suicide because of bullying, call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Again, the number is 1-800-273-8255.